0: we got a lot to do this morning, so I'm going to pray and then we're just going to get right into it. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've caused this word to be written and that we could go into it and dig into it and pull from it uh, who you are as you reveal yourself to us, as you reveal who we are to you. So I want to thank you for that, God. I pray that you would bless our time this morning. I pray that you would bless each person in this room as we've all come in in with with a different mindset, with a different condition of our heart. But Lord, you know right where each one of us is this morning. And I pray that you would speak your truth to each of us. Amen. All right, so the last few weeks we've been going through, well, yeah, the last 15 weeks we've been going through Colossians. But the last two, two or three times we've gotten together, we talked about what Paul was talking about as, as behaviors. He, he would say, Christian, if you're Christian, this is what Christian actually looks like. And so he was encouraging us to become who we are in Christ, which is pretty straightforward. And we, and we kind of wrestle with the idea that we all just ebb and we flow through these ideas, through these behaviors, right? Sometimes, sometimes we do the things that we don't want to do. Other times, we're, we do pretty good in things we do want to do. But we're never like there's never the uber Christian. There's never the perfect. Look at me, I'm the most holy guy ever. I'm not, um, this is sarcasm, okay? So just so you know. Uh, um, and, and there's nobody like that in the room. And so we kind of ebb and flow through the behaviors, through the things that we should be doing, through the things that we shouldn't be doing. And then we talked a little bit about grace. How grace is God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. And we said that, that, that even, even as we wrestle with these things, every, every small step we take toward jesus toward god he rejoices in he rejoices in every every little forward motion you have toward him and then when you fail, and when you fall, and when you stumble, and when you land flat on your face, it's the grace of God through Jesus Christ that can pick you up and put you back on your feet. And so we wrestled again. We talked about over the last few weeks about surrendering to this idea of grace. But in Christian world, we just, we just throw these ideas of this idea of surrender out there. And, and, and I got to thinking um, the last time we got together, I got to think, you know, do we really understand surrender? Do we, I mean, we just always oh, just surrender to God. Just so what does it mean? What does it look like? And so how does that play out in our everyday life? And I wanted to give us some ideas of what surrender might look like for the Christian in life. How do we surrender? And so, so, we, so we kind of wrestled through this idea of it begins with understanding that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And that because of Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from that love. That's the foundation of surrender. That God loves you and nothing, because of Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from his love. We, will, we look through Romans and, and neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the, nothing. Nothing is going to separate you. And so we surrender not because, not because we've been defeated, not because we've been pressured, not because God is angry. We surrender because we are loved. That enables us to give our lives over to him. And then we went and we talked about Christian community or, or community of faith and how that plays into this idea of surrender. And we said it's important that you get to know people in the context of community. But even more important, I would say, that you would allow yourself to be known by people in the context of community that you would become transparent, that you would start to become open. And I don't mean with everybody. You don't have to air your dirty laundry out in front of everybody, but there would be people that that know you, that really know you, you know, that scary part of you, the ugly parts of you, and that you would get to know other people. And then we kind of wrestle with the idea of repentance. That thing that... Uh, We're going to turn from. See, there's always something in our lives that God wants to refine. He wants to clean up. He wants to tear out. He wants to cut out. There's always something that we could be turning over to him. Always. And once you get that one thing out there and he's taking care of it, ta-da, there's another one right there in its place. And so it's a constant process for us that God is getting it, that we're allowing him to get in there and do the work that only he can do. Do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. And so surrender begins by understanding you are loved and it plays itself out in the context of community, getting to know people and allowing yourself to be known and knowing that there's always something that God wants to do in your life. There's always something, always some garbage that needs to be cleaned out. And Paul is going to continue in Colossians with, with, this, with this whole idea of what it looks like. right? So remember, when Paul writes, he writes with this, this whole uh, theology in the front of his letters. He explains the theology and then he goes, okay, now this is what the theology looks like. And now he's going to take the what it looks like into the context of marriage. And I thought, you know, I, I think the last time I really talked about we preached on marriage was, I, it was when I looked back, it was like 2009. I touched on it a little bit when we went through Malachi. That was last year sometime. So I thought maybe there's only two verses here. Maybe I can just kind of skim right over this and we'll just move into something else. But it really, it's, it's, it follows the flow of what Paul is talking about. If then you've been raised with Christ, Christian, then this is what it looks like. Become who you already are in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. And so when, when you, whenever you talk about marriage, well, marriage is an interesting animal. And, and those of you who are married, I mean, you could attest to this. It's a very interesting dynamic. It's a, it's a colorful experience. Okay? I mean, because you, you bring two people into this intimate relationship. I mean, I've always said marriage would be awesome if you were just by yourself, right? If you were just married to yourself, then you'd have no trouble. You'd argue with yourself, you'd win, and everything would be better. But see, when you bring two broken people into a very intimate, close relationship... And these, and these people begin to live together and they begin to, to, to just do life together, then challenges might come up just once in a while, maybe. maybe. Maybe you have a little bit of contention every once in a while. Maybe an argument, maybe your voice is raised, I mean, every once in a while. Maybe, maybe you even might fight and yell. I mean, I mean, nobody here I know, but people out there i 've heard rumors that actually married couples do that out there they, they, there's these these argument things now now, Sandy and I wait, shh, sandy and I, we are too holy to argue We have spirited fellowship okay we're, we're much too holy to argue. we engage in this thing called spiritual fellowship it's same thing right yeah and so but paul is going to talk make two very brief statements about husbands and about wives yet they're they're very deep with meaning and they have they find their roots in 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 the history of what god has created now i will say this when when the the one when he speaks to the wives, wives cringe when they hear it, because he uses the S word. Mm hmm. And I and we'll look at the S word later. But wives cringe because they're like, mm hmm. That's uh uh-uh, uh. I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not doing that. Because I, I believe that, that they, they don't understand, wives don't fully understand because it seems derogatory and it's not. And then what the husbands are called to do, we end up not doing that so well because of our selfishness, because of our, if I can use this theological term, pig-headedness. Because of our lack of understanding, we don't fulfill what Paul calls us to be, who we already are in Christ. And especially in light of what he talks to the wives. But see, this whole idea that he's writing, these two little verses find themselves at the beginning of the Bible. And so that's where I want to begin. And in Genesis chapter 1, God says this, or or the, uh, the word says this. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And so God sets out to creating, and he begins to create. And so he creates heavens, earth, light, land, plants, sun, moon, stars, animals, fish, birds. He even creates, I would think, mosquitoes. I don't know why. He's God. I'm not. So, so God creates all of this stuff. And then in Genesis 1, and I'm going to read it from my Bible because that's just way too small for me. It says this. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day so god creates mankind in his image and in his likeness now in ancient cultures egyptian cultures the mesopotamian cultures you had kings you had pharaohs you had royalty okay and they were considered well the the kings and the pharaohs they considered themselves as images of god and what they would do is they would create statues and they would put statues everywhere to just let people know that ta-da i am an image of god and so this 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 phrase, image of God, wasn't used for us common folk. It was only used for royalty. But the writer of Genesis, what he's moving towards, he wants people to know that all of humanity is related to God. All of humanity has been created in the image of God. And that's a very special and beautiful thing. Because what that tells us is that this mankind... That God has created, if we look at this mankind and we study it, then we can know something about who God is. We can learn something about the creator of the universe by mankind. So, we as Christians, we know that, hey, you know what? Um, As Christians, we've been called to live in the image of God. You know, we've been called to to represent God here on earth or, or represent Christ. But here's the thing you've been created. In the image of God. Not just called. You have been created. I mean at least originally. In the image. Well you still are in the image of God. You've been created for that. Not just called to it. Created for it. And we've been given this. This this representative type of rule. Here on earth. Of God. Look at the language he uses. Be fruitful. Multiply. Subdue. Rule over the creation. God doesn't give us sovereignty over it, but he's giving us rule over what he has created. We've been created to live out this harmony, this rhythm, the shalom of God here on earth. And we do it not by exploiting or, or being heavy-handed. This is God's rule. This is God's uh, rhythm and harmony. This is This is God's compassion. And we see that by what it says there, we rule, and we don't even get to kill anything for food. We're vegetarians right out of the box. We get to eat seeds, fruit. I was sharing with somebody, thank God for the fall, man, because I love steak. I digress. And so, and so but, but we're not to exploit. We're to rule with a very, within a very specific created order. It's the harmony of God, the shalom of God. And we're to live in such a way that points to the goodness and the graciousness and the love of our creator. That's the way we've been created. And God created man and woman for this purpose. Now, next slide, Will. Chapter 2. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden. I'm just going to read mine. Sorry. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought he brought her to the man. So man or God takes the guy, Adam, puts him in the garden, tells him, "Work it, work at the garden." Now, we could take this phrase, this idea of work, and we could say it almost has the sense of serve the garden or, or nurture it. Man's rule over creation begins as a nurturing rule, as a servant's rule. Man serving and nurturing. Work is not the consequence of sin, work is part of God's original design. Work. We haven't been created to sit on the couch with the remote, eating chips, flicking through the stations. We've actually have a purpose in life, and the women too. And, and so it's not just to, in the garden was just, you know, they just didn't wander around tipping toe through the tulips and all that good stuff. They had to work. God says, nurture this place, work at this, build it up. And then God gives a command to the man. He says, listen, dude, you get to enjoy all of this. You get to eat any of the fruits, any of the seeds. I mean, you can even chew on tree bark if you want, if you so desire. That's in my version, my translation. You, this is all for you. except just, just don't mess with that one tree. Don't touch the one tree. And what God is saying, it's just the goodness of God shown to us. Man, I've created all of this for you. All of this is yours. Enjoy it. And then God says, I want you to trust me. Don't mess with that one tree. I've given all of this to you. And trust me. It's an example of the goodness of God poured out to humanity. And he says, man, if you just, if you just trust me, man, this is yours forever to enjoy. And so man begins his rule... Over creation, He starts to name the animals. God brings them to the man, and the man starts to make up names. It's by God's design that the man would begin this rule. And we see in this text that it's actually before the woman happens on the scene. But then as this is all playing out, God notices, not the man. I believe men were even clueless back then. But God notices that, that something is still missing. Something is still not right. And for the first time in the creation story, we're going to see that God looks and says, wait a minute, something is not so good here. The man needs something. The man needs a helper. And so God is going to create for him a helper. And you can ask the question, a helper in what? Well, I'll tell you what, it is not a helper in. It's not someone to do the dishes and the laundry and to cook the meals. We just said that God is creating the woman to help the man in his rule over creation. That the woman would come alongside him and help him. Now, we often look at that word helper as derogatory. Well, at least I don't because I'm a man. But I know many women have looked at that word as derogatory. Like it's helper. It's, it's like this, this lower position. It's, it's this subservient thing. It's not. In the Hebrew, the, the actual word means to save. It's the same word that's used when they talk about the Lord, how, how the Lord is Israel's helper. And so the woman has been created to, if I dare, to save the man from solitude, to come alongside the man and help him rule. Without the woman, there isn't any more men. I mean, do you know how that works? That's biology. And so the woman has been created with a very specific role to come alongside the man. Now, let's go. uh, Next slide, I'm sorry. And this is what Adam says. This is now, he looks at his wife. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she was called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We won't quote, I won't talk on 25, because... That'll get me in trouble. But anyway, so God creates marriage... He creates marriage and you see that God says, okay, I have this one man and I'm going to bring this one man, a woman, a singular woman, not women, not concubines, not many wives, but a woman, not buddies for the guy to hang out with. But God creates marriage and Adam says, she is bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. And the Bible flesh has this idea of being, of of, uh, representing weakness. And bones would represent strength. And so what Adam is saying that she, in essence, is exactly like I am. In all of my humanity, in exactly the image that God has created the man, God has created the woman. And so in value, dignity, essence, she is equal. But the scriptures talk about very distinct roles for the husband and for the wife. Adam is the one that is commanded by God. Listen, don't eat of the tree. Adam is the one that is supposed to demonstrate and teach for Eve how to walk in harmony with God, how to walk in the shalom of God. He has been given that charge. And then when it all falls apart, what happens? God looks for the man. Dude, what did you... For real? For real? I mean, that's the literal Hebrew translation. Like, really? Who told you you were naked? And yes, they'll both suffer consequences, but God comes after the man because he has ultimate responsibility. But in essence, value and dignity, the woman is is, is equal. We just have been given different roles. And you know, it only goes good for like two chapters. Like, there's two chapters and then it all... It goes bad for like a lot. And then we get two chapters at the end where like it starts getting good again. And then after the fall, this is what God says to the woman. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So before the fall, the man and the woman, they lived in this shalom, this harmony, this rhythm with God and with creation and with each other. But now we begin to read the consequence of sin. Now we begin to read what happens now because man and woman have decided that they were no longer going to trust God, that they decided that what they know is better than God's plan and they were going to live their plan before they live God's plan. And so the woman who was created as an equal in dignity and value and essence, but with a different role, is now under the curse of sin. And she will, she will bear children in pain, severe pain. Now please don't think all I'm saying a woman is good for is having babies. That's not what I'm saying. I've said it over and again, that God has created the man and the woman to rule over his creation. But now the woman, in her very distinct role... Of bringing forth children, now she will experience severe pain because of the consequence of sin. Men don't get to have children. We get children. We don't have children. And if you know a man who has had a child, get them with me. We'll do a YouTube video. We'll make millions of dollars. Okay? But that's that's a very distinct role for women. And in that role, God says sin has just... Not, now it 's not going to go smooth, and this whole thing about desire and rule it, it, even even the relationship between the man and the woman has gone bad. The woman, now, because of the consequence of sin, is going to be headbutting with her husband. she wants to turn that those roles upside down, and she wants to dominate the wife wants to dominate, and how does sinful husband respond? very sinfully he is going to force her try to force her to submit whether it be whether it be from a an aggressive standpoint or a passive standpoint passively he would let her assume a role that she's never been created for aggressively he's going to be some power hungry jerk he's going to force her woman you best submit guys let me tell you that never ends well it doesn't work but because his sin has entered the world, roles have now begun to change or try to change. But it's not the way God had initially set things up. Husband and wife were created to be in this partnership. And sin has torn it apart. And if you're married, even for a short time, you know that sometimes as husband and wife, you're banging heads. And you think, guys, you're right. And usually you're not, but you like to th- we like to think that. And the wife is going to make sure she tells you, you ain't right. But now, look what, he, look what he goes to the man. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit of the tree. Now, now remember, like, like Adam knew. Like, like, I read the text, and he was standing right there. And she plucked or pulled, and he went, here you go, buddy. He's like, right, sure, I don't care. So he he was a, he was a doofus. Um, he ate the fruit of the tree which I commanded you. You must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will be it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. So God tells Adam, yeah, remember dude when I told you that you're just going to work this garden and you're going to make it beautiful and you're going to nurture it and you're going to serve it. Guess what? Now your work is going to be toil. Now it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be aggravating, it's not going to be easy. And not only not only is there going to be contention between you and your wife and there's going to be the bumping of heads, but now you work is going to just kind of suck the life out of you and nothing is going to change that. Absolutely nothing was going to change it. Look what it says in verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Okay, in the original Hebrew, I believe that the translation originally is life sucks until you die. I mean, that's basically what it says. All right. It's going to go bad and then you get to die. This is the way, now there's, there's things we can do to make our life easier. I mean, we, we, can, we can help life along, and I believe it begins with surrendering our lives to God and the things that we, he would have for us and the way that he would have it for us, pursuing Christ and allowing that to, to reel us in. But it's never going to be that harmony and the rhythm and the shalom that was originally in the garden before it all goes bad until God puts it all back together again in Jesus Christ. It's never going to be that until Christ comes again and brings it all back together. And so, from this point on, we see God just pointing people back to the original way, back to creation. But the Bible is just filled of how it goes wrong, especially between men and women. We see adultery. We see polygamy. We see, we see um, men with men, women with women. We see, we see people with animals. Okay, if you read Leviticus, God says, don't, don't get with animals, Okay, that means that people were doing that. Do you see how sin has come and he's just perverted this whole thing? And God is continually calling us back, calling us back. And that's what Paul is going to write in Colossians. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Paul is pointing us back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Paul is pointing us back to the way it was out of the box if then you've been raised with Christ, this is what it begins to look like. This is how it plays out. Now, what's very interesting in the scripture, when the scripture addresses a husband and a wife in the context of marriage, the scriptures always go to the wife first. They always speak to the wife first. And I've told you this before, it's because that a husband cannot lead a wife who will not be led. It doesn't matter how godly that man is, how gentle, that man is a husband cannot lead a wife that refuses to be led and so he will speak to the woman first and it says wives submit yourselves to your husbands that's the s word we we cringe on that word submit it always has this derogatory sense for people but it's not meant in that way in any way shape or sense of the word i mean if we were to break it down very simply to submit to your husband is just to respect him ephesians 5 to respect your husband. And if you are if you need to confront him, you would do it with a sense of respect. And respect means that you don't go out with your friends and you don't start bad-mouthing your husband in front of other people, bringing things that are personal from the home into a public conversation and just going on about him. That is disrespect. And you know, you know the difference between gossiping about how big of a bonehead your husband is and going to somebody for godly conversation. Counsel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about respecting your husbands. That's what he's talking about here. And if you confront him, do you come at him with both barrels cocked, ready to just take his head off? you? Will you do it in a way that's gentle and respectful? Wives, submit to your husbands. I think the submission also, it looks like that you would... That you would um, you would allow your husband to lead as he would take humble, servant leadership of the family. Guys, this is not, and I'll get to the guys later. Guys, this is not you strong-arming your wife going, this is what we're going to do. I'm buying a new Harley Davidson this year and you got nothing to say about it, woman. That, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you humbly leading your family. Will you allow your husband to do that? In 2003, I went to Sandy and I said, uh, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. It made absolutely no sense at all. Came out of the blue People told me I couldn't, shouldn't do it. Uh, we were going to take a $14,000 pay cut as a family because I was going to change the job. It just, it, it didn't make sense. And so her, we, we, we talked about it and I, and I tried to plead my case as best I could. And at the end, she said to me, well, if, if that's what you need to do, then I guess. And so then started my journey. In 2008, It wasn't looking so well from 2003 anymore. And I realized I was about to lose my position as the pastor of the church I was at. I was the interim pastor and they wanted somebody different. That that was fine. But I was never in more of a place in life where I just did not know. I didn't know if I should just... I wanted to just forget about church world. Should I go back into computers? Should I go back to school and train for something else? Should I look for another church job in another church? Should I just collect unemployment until that runs out, which I found out I couldn't collect unemployment? Uh, do 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 we start a church? What I knew for sure is I was burnt out, I was tired, I was aggravated and frustrated with God, and I really didn't like people anymore. And as a pastor, that's a big stumbling block. I'll tell you right now. And I didn't know what to do. And I talked about, I talked about it to, with Sandy. And I'm just like, man, I, I'm sorry. This did not work out like I expected it to work out. And we talked pros and we talked cons. And, and, I, and I don't remember really any of that conversation. But this is what I remember her saying to me. She goes, listen, no matter what you decide, I will be there for you. And I will support you. She trusted me beyond what was trustworthy. That's what respecting your husband looks like. Now, I'm not saying she's perfect, because she's not here and I could say that. (laughs) But for a husband, that's huge. I can't even begin to tell you that's huge. This church only exists because Sandy said that to me. I think the last one I want to talk to you guys about is uh, in Titus chapter 2, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, it says that the the seasoned women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and family. And what I found out that that idea of love is a, is a brotherly love. That that, that wives are to love their husbands with a brotherly love. That, wives, would you be friends with your husband? Do you do things? Are you willing to do things? Are you willing to do things that you might not even like or want to do with your husband? Or are you just kind of two ships that just pass in the night? You just share an address in a mailbox. I think it's the man's responsibility to do the same. But this is about wives, would you submit to your husbands? Would you respect them enough to nurture a friendship with each other? It's so, so important. Now, gentlemen, husbands, love your wives. I would say that this is speaking right to Ephesians 5 again. It's a sacrificial love For our wives. That our wife. My wife would be more important to me than I am important to me. That I would put her needs and her wants before mine. See, see, I need to love my wife with an in spite of love. I don't love Sandy to, to make sure that she does something or to get a behavior out of her that I desire. I love her with an in spite of love because love with an agenda is not love. Love with an agenda is not love. It's called an agenda. And I don't get to say, you know what? If that woman would just submit to me, then maybe I would love her. That's not the way it works. And some of you might be thinking, well, Dennis, you know what? My wife is nuts. Okay, let me just say this. She probably exhibited nutty behavior before you were married. Okay, so now, and you chose to marry her. We are called to love our wives with a sacrificial love. In spite of love, we are called to put them first. Even, even, even in those times when you're in that spirited fellowship moment, and you might be right, gentlemen, you would be humble and gentle. I want you guys to be the peacemaker. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That you would go to your wife, accept responsibility in the argument, even if you were correct. Correct. And you would begin to put things right. That is sacral, sacrificial love. 1 Corinthians tells us that we are to cover and protect our wives, that we would provide for her needs. I believe that's physically, I believe that's emotionally, and I believe that's spiritually. And gentlemen, if you are not fulfilling those three needs in a, in a way that's fit for your wife, or if you don't think that's your job, then you are walking outside of what God has called you to as a husband. We are called to come alongside our wives, to encourage our wives, that they would become everything that God has called them to be, that we would put them first, their their needs come before ours that's the sacrificial love that we have been called to husbands love your wives and this last one i'm gonna i'm gonna push the boundaries a little bit i believe if, if you study this book in the bible called the song of songs i believe what it encourages men to do is to show a little romance to your wife you have almost a biblical responsibility to romance your wife. Now, if you're under 13, plug your ears. <laughs> Seriously, plug them. OK. All, all bets are off. Gentlemen, romance is not sex. That's no joke. Romance Romance is an intimate, emotional, time-spending, caring posture of your heart towards your wife. That's what romance is. And yes, there may be physical affection in there, but there's also emotional affection. There's also spiritual affection. And I would venture to say that if we surveyed the wives here this morning, including my own, that us men, we would probably get a pretty low grade in the romance department. And what's scary is, it might even get lower if we, graded, we got graded on consistency. Consistency. We've been called to romance our wives. I was thinking, hey, listen, man, you know what? I don't need the bait the hook anymore. I got me the fish already. <laughs> the only thing wrong with that attitude is the Bible. Okay? You, you, you can't go there. So work at it. Figure it out. Do something. Now, now, ladies, let me, let me tell you this. Don't mock a feeble attempt, all right? This might be something new for your guys, all right? Like, like he plans this date night, and you're headed to Burger King, and then Fast and Furious 6, okay? I get that. But in gentleness and respect, reel them back in. We have to be trained in such things. It doesn't come naturally to us. Leave the book on the coffee table, you know, romantic getaways or whatever, but guys, get on it. Get on it. Husband loves your love your wives, and it says, and do not be harsh with them. You know, I think as as guys, sometimes we don't even recognize we're being harsh with our wives. Sometimes we don't even see it because we're just. We're just focused on one thing and, and, and we're just trying to do whatever we're trying to do. And, and we, we, we don't share a lot and we keep everything inside. And so then things start to fester and, and we start to act in, in, in crazy ways uh, not too long ago. Um, you know, it's been just kind of, it's kind of been a very interesting dynamic here for me at the church, you know, trying to be a pastor uh, the way I used to pastor us when we were a 40 or 50 person church has changed a lot. And I'm, and, and I'm trying to learn and, and navigate through this. And so things have been kind of stressful for me. And, and, and so uh, at one time, Sandy and I, we were engaged in some of that spirited fellowship I was talking to you about. And she looked at me and said, you know what? I'm tired of walking around on eggshells in this house for you. And it was like a punch in the stomach for me. Like, I just, it just, it just never, I just never, like all of a sudden all these ideas and all these, like my life passed before my eyes over the last six or eight months. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness. And I didn't even know it. It wasn't like, I wasn't like, it wasn't even like a conscious thing that I realized. And so I had to look at myself and make some changes. I had to go to our elders and say, listen, guys, I need to make some changes. I went to my spiritual director. And I said, dude, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going through. And, he, and gently, he put a boot across my derriere and said, listen, man, you gotta, you got to focus on Christ. And three people in that week told me just through by praying with me and by just unsolicited words. Dennis, you, I think God's calling you back to your first love. And you see, I got all caught up with church and doing things and and doing all this other stuff. And it was sucking the life out of me because my life with Christ wasn't the focus anymore. And I began to get harsh with my own family. When your wife says, I'm tired of walking around on eggshells, guess what? That's not a good thing. And I praise God that she's a forgiving and patient woman. That's why I think God gave her, brought us together because he knew even as a pastor, I needed lots of patience and forgiveness. Gentlemen, you need to do the interior work of looking at yourself. How are you loving your wife? And I will say this, when those people told me, return to your first love. Here's what I continually learn. That my pursuit of Jesus directly affects the way I love my wife. Ladies, your pursuit of Jesus directly affects how you love your husbands. Gentlemen, if you're not loving your wife in just some of the ways that we talked about, if you're harsh, if you've been a jerk lately, then you need to look at your walk with Christ Ladies, if you're just disrespecting your husband and you just don't like him anymore, you need to look at your walk with Christ because that is contingent on everything. The pursuit of Jesus changes everything. We're always being called back, called back to the way God planned it at the beginning. All of this is how it's gone bad. (laughs) But Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Next week, we'll look at parenting. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace and mercy and that you love us so much. I thank you for your word. I want to thank you for husbands and wives and families and children, God. I just pray that you would bless, God. I pray that grace, the the, the grace of repentance, would would seep into the hearts of men and women here this morning, God. I pray that there's uh, okay. Before, I, okay, ladies, I'm, I'm gonna continue praying, but let me let me tell you that what you don't do, ladies and gentlemen. You don't nudge your husband on the way home and go, hear what Dennis said. You don't nudge your wife and go, woman, hmm? this is for you. Let's pray. And so, God, I pray that we would take this into ourselves and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would continue to transform and we would continually surrender to the grace of God. We love you, Lord. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.